0: Welcome to this week's episode of Midlife AF. This is a really cool one. So, and probably the beginning of a series, I think. I
1: am part of Copper Community, which is an online platform for
0: people who are looking to change their relationship with alcohol. It's run by Victoria Van Stone, who is Sober Awkward and that
1: pod- amazing podcast and the drunk mummy, sober mummy, and she's bringing out a book.
0: And I was in that community and I did a poll asking people what they would like me to do a webinar on. And that is what led to this particular podcast episode. So I recorded it as a webinar um, and now I'm going to make it into a podcast episode for you. And it's all about my journey. and it's a
1: it's entitled something which I'm I'm thinking might be the title to a book that
0: I have yet to write, um, called A Scream in a Bottle. And it's talking about being a woman in midlife,
1: perimenopause, finding out you're neurodiverse, neurodivergent, and what that means. So a little bit about some definitions around those things and about how they can impact you as a person drinking. Um, I hope you enjoy it let me know I'd love to hear give me some give me some feedback over to me a scream in a bottle perimenopause neurodiversity and alcohol
0: if you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move then midlife af is the podcast for you Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you saying it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, Come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze.
1: So glad you're able to join me. Um, I call this a scream in a bottle because, which sounds like a bit of an overdramatic name, but um, I've been doing a lot of writing about this recently. And not just about neurodivergence or menopause, perimenopause, but about why so many of us drink and
2: why most of the time us drinking has nothing to do with alcohol and why it has everything to do with other things around us and our culture and our
1: society. But I wanted to talk about neurodivergence and perimenopause because um, that has been my journey particularly understanding it post-giving up or stopping drinking. I don't like to use the words giving up because it implies that I've given up something good and I come from a place where I absolutely 100% believe that it was one of the best choices and one of the best things I've ever done. But excuse my dodgy voice. In true ADHD uh, fashion, I have been in my pyjamas putting this presentation together for God knows how long today. Nobody's really been fed properly. <laughs> and as you can see, I've got no makeup on, so please forgive any, um, any errors in, in, in the content or in the presentation. And I also just want to say that I am coming to this from my own personal experience, and I do not and would never want to speak about other people's experiences. So this is literally my experience. And I hope that I can share it with you in in order to help other people who experience the same. So first of all, I'd like to start this meeting by honoring the fact that I am holding this um, live Q&A on the lands of the Bunurong people of the East Kulon Nations. And I pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people.
2: I also just want to take a minute for us to ground and just find ourselves here tonight together. We'll take a second, just take a breath in and a nice long slow breath out, Ha ah, one more breath in, and a nice long slow breath out, ah, one more breath in, and a nice long slow breath out, ah. Welcome everyone. So first of all, I just want to
1: celebrate you for giving up your time, and I'm assuming that Many of you have come to this presentation because you have been getting some kind of um, notice or knowing or um, there's something knocking on your door saying, hey, I'm wondering if maybe I might be neurodivergent, I might have ADHD, I might have autism, I might be highly sensitive or high sensory. Or any of the other things that fall into that category which I will come on to later and there's so much lack of knowledge around perimenopause I mean it is getting a lot better since I started investigating it for sure um, but for many people there's um, a sort of I couldn't be in perimenopause um, a lot of people don't realize that perimenopause can strike from up to 10 years before menopause and so many people can be in their early 40s late 30s and find that they are getting paranormal symptoms and many of us don't know what those symptoms are and as I said this has changed a lot in the last few years but I'm not I'm not sure it's 100% there for everybody and I, I think it's something to be aware of So celebrating you for coming here and being here tonight with me. Thank you.
2: So this is what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about midlife and the perimenopause, which in turn will become the menopause. Um,
1: We're gonna talk about neurodivergence. And for me, particularly my form of neurodivergence is ADHD. And then we're gonna talk about why alcohol is the perfect storm. For those two particular conditions. But first of all,
2: I'd love you to share in the chat what brought you to today's presentation. So take a second just to share that with me. Yeah, you've been thinking you might be ADHD for a while. Yeah. Yeah, you're interested in the perimenopause and alcohol. Totally get that. (laughs) You've been getting hot flashes, yeah. You're wondering why your tolerance for alcohol is much less than it used to be. Yeah, it's very common. So thank you. Thanks for sharing that with me, I really appreciate it. So next I'd like to introduce myself, my name is Emma. And I find women in midlife. I help women in
1: midlife find their groove without boost. I have a lot of great qualifications. I'm a counsellor psychotherapist. I'm a This Naked Mind alcohol coach. I am a certified practitioner. I'm a certified counsellor and therapist. I'm a grey area drinking coach. I'm a tuning into teens coach. And I'm currently studying under Garbo Marte in his
2: Compassionate Inquiry professional course. But that's not the reason I'm here. I just want to take you a little bit back a little bit in my journey. So
1: I found out that I was ADHD last year. And the reason I found out was because both my children, who were female assigned at birth, um, one's trans now, we were both diagnosed with ADHD and autism last year. And until that point, I had thought that we were all very similar. <laughs> um, we were just the same as everybody else, as a family. I just wondered why we seemed to make it all look so hard. <laughs> and so I just wanted to take you back a bit. So this is me when I was little. That's me in the nurse's outfit at about four, me about seven, I think maybe a bit younger. My ballet um, outfit and then me performing in a play when I was about 10, 11. So these were the things that used to come be be told to me. I used to be told I always had my head in a book. I definitely had difficulty sleeping. I remember having horrendous nightmares and really hating being on my own at night. I was always called disorganised. I was told I was unsociable because I often didn't want to socialise with people when they came round to our house. I was messy. I was told my head was in the clouds. I was told I left everything till the last minute and I left all my books at school. But I was still quite good at English and I managed to kind of peer, get pretty good reports, pretty good results. Come forward a little bit. So it's my teenage years, me and my dad. And you can see... Drinking was very much part of our family. We we're very much part of that generation of uh, kids who are brought up in families where they encouraged us to drink at home, with the idea being that if we drank at home and we learnt how to drink safely, then we wouldn't get caught in difficult situations um, outside of the home. Which we now know from all the research is um, is no longer, you know, believed to be the best way of um, of doing that. And in fact, actually increases the propensity of somebody to have problems with alcohol later on in life. But bless our parents, they weren't to know that and um, they were doing the best they could, right? Trying to keep us safe in the way that they thought was good for us. Um, So for me, I started, I had a best friend and, and this often happens with women, I think, who are neurodivergent um, and women in general, but um, I had a best friend and we were quite young when we started high school, young in our way. And anyway, she decided that she didn't want to be my friend anymore. And it really devastated me. I was really surprised how much it devastated me, but it devastated me. And then I, I kind of, all through my life, I'd taken on all these sort of descriptions of myself as being not good enough, not up to scratch, when I still was okay, I was pumpling along. And then I think this was the final sort of nail in the coffin for me. And I was really like,
2: don't I don't fit in the way I am. And so I started to change. And I started trying to fit in. I tried
1: tried to create this persona for myself of this rebellious kind of persona. And I got caught inhaling aerosols when I was quite young, pretty young actually, like twelve or something. Caught smoking numerous occasions, caught drinking numerous occasions. I was always um, leading people astray. <laughs> I got expelled from school. I'm not sure that spelling's right. Um, I excelled when I was motivated. Uh, it was very quite impulsive. I often didn't know why I was doing things. I failed my end of school exams, but I did really well in some other exams that I'd taken two years earlier that got me into where I wanted to go. I had eating disorders, bulimia, um, anorexia, and I self-sabotaged. I remembered the other day that I was going off to an um, interview at an art school, a really good art school in London, and I bought a bottle of wine and I drank it on the way there, so I was completely pissed. I don't remember the interview at all. Obviously, I didn't get in. And I didn't get into the university of my choice. I didn't get into any university as soon as I left school
2: because my, yeah, my A-level grades were so, which is the... UK equivalent of the HSC was so bad. So let me just check. Sorry, my kids. She's texting me. I just want to make sure it's no life or death matter. Okay, no. And ending sort of my, my parents in the kindest way,
1: because sort I of went, okay, well, she's obviously not going to become this whatever. We thought she might be and they kind of let me be and they kind of let me just do what I wanted to do so I ended up going back to art college, going to an art college doing a foundation course and then going to uni and then getting a job in um, working for one of brothers in the UK and I stayed there for a long time as you can see was just over 10 years. Um, and things sort of seemed to be going okay, I had a good corporate job. Was working in soho so it was really crazy i was you know living with we me and my husband into party and we really enjoyed going to festivals we'd go traveling to thailand we'd go to kopenyang we'd go to lots of that sort of more alternative kind of dancing um, raves and stuff and um, there was always beers after work we we're very much in the media lifestyle so it was all sorts of extracurriculars and you know and, and and then it st- things just started to kind of n- to grind well. It was all going really well. And then and this is very common, I think, in in uh in women with ADHD. I couldn't seem to progress. I'd got to a, pl- a point and I couldn't seem to progress. So I wanted to become a director before I had kids and I just got stuck at the middle management level and I kept trying and I kept trying and I kept trying and I couldn't understand. Why, despite how hard I would work and how good my work was, I didn't seem to be able to progress. And I remember hearing things like, not enough gravitas. And I did have, I had a real issue with presenting, um, which was really strange because as a kid, I'd always really enjoyed performing. And now, funnily enough, I love presenting. But in my corporate job, I was so desperately, I think, trying to be recognised and understood that I put so much pressure on myself that I almost, I just, it was too much. Um, I, but work was very much part of my identity. I gave everything to work. And I, I've i said, I said many a time, you know, if I if I had a progress to director when I had wanted to, there's a strong possibility I wouldn't have had kids. Um, I just get very hyper-focused. I quite easily stay at work and work really, really late. I didn't mind it at all. It didn't feel like a... Uh, a bad thing to me, um, but I did have to work out vows to keep up, um, and things looked great on the surface. And you can see from these pictures, um, I was having a good time. I was physically fit and well, um, probably in the best shape I ever ever was. I was running every day. Um, I moved to Australia. I lost my dad when we moved over. Um,
2: Things looked great on the surface, but underneath things were pretty tough. I was I was running on empty. I was feeling like I was trying to do so much.
1: Like so many of mums, I'd woken up, you know, I'd get up really early in the morning, I'd go running, I'd get up, try and get my two children, which I didn't realise were autistic and ADHD out of the house and off to before school work, uh, before school club, then I'd, um, and then I'd come home and pick them up at sort of seven o'clock and they'd be exhausted. I'd be trying to get them to bed and I'd be trying to be on calls with global, you know, conference people and I'd be hiding in the cupboard and trying to pretend I wasn't a mom. And I just felt like I was doing everything badly. My husband was so angry with me. Why, you know, why can't you do your work in work time? all of this and and so my drinking started my drinking was always really heavy it was always really heavy even from 11 you know from sort of 11 years old and when I say heavy probably what other people would think of as less moderate
2: but we don't know how how, um, harmful alcohol can be and I was waking up at 3am beating myself up I'm just really frustrated in
1: that merry-go-round, like so many of us are, of wishing I was drinking less and being really mean to myself because I was drinking more. Um, Now, today, I am happily alcohol-free. I've been happily alcohol-free for over three years. I'm learning to be at peace with myself. I do sleep really, really well. Now, I know I'm lucky in that way. And I'm able to be the calm space in my world, which has become an absolute reality, because for... My girls, my, my uh, boy and girl, who got diagnosed last year, things have really got a lot tougher um, in their teens. Or maybe I'm just a bit more aware of it. Um, so from a timeline perspective, I had what I call my spiritual awakening or my cri- mid my midlife crisis, my breakdown, back in um, 2018 when I had a bullying situation at work. And... I was unable to cope with it. I'd had, I'd really been struggling with my life. I didn't realise it at the time, but I just think the, I was stretched so thin. And, you know, I'd gone through a couple of traumatic things as well, previously with work. And then the last time I just, my ability to be able to suck it up had just gone. I was so brittle, I broke. And I couldn't let, I could no longer let somebody walk all over me. And so I walked away. And I had a whole you know year worth of putting myself back together and just really reeling from the fact that you know that had happened. It really dented my ego, it dented my belief because everything that I had ever done had been focused on that career. And once I'd had that breakdown, um, it would have been very difficult for me to go back into it. And looking back at it now it wouldn't have been the right thing for me to do. So, anyway, I decided that I wanted to study counselling psychotherapy instead. So, I'd started building myself back up. I started meditating. I started doing yoga. And I started to study for this um, postgrad diploma. And I also was like, oh, maybe I will work with teenagers because my kids are going to be teenagers soon and it's really interesting and there's such need. So um, I spoke to a friend of mine and she said, don't, don't train to help teenagers because teenagers really don't want to be helped by you because you're what they consider to be an old, old lady <laughs> and you'd be much better off helping their parents. Um, and so I trained in Tuning Into Teens, which is an emotional, emotionally intelligent parenting um, programme. And then in 2020, I stopped drinking and I stopped drinking using this in mind. I did the January live alcohol experiment in 2020, which is the program that I um, teach now. And, you know, here's one of the things I am going to talk about at the end of this presentation is my um, great Aussie alcohol experiment, which I am launching in the next couple of days, and doors close on Tuesday, the 28th of February. So I will talk about that at the end of this presentation. I hope that's okay with everybody.
2: If you could type in the chat and let me know, that would be awesome. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Um,
1: Then I started my business, Hope Rising Coaching, and in 2021, I started training under Jolene Park in her grey area drinking recovery program. And that brings us fully back up to date. So in 2023, I have just um, started training with Dr. gabriel Marte in his Compassionate Inquiry professional training. And that's where I am now. So we're here to talk about midlife, the perimenopause. We're here to talk about uh, neurodiversity and from my perspective, ADHD. And then we're going to talk about alcohol. So first of all, let's talk about midlife. So Breno Brown says... Midlife is when the universe gently places her hands upon your shoulder, pulls you close and whispers in your ear, I'm not screwing around. All of this pretending and performing, these coping mechanisms that you've developed to protect yourself from feeling inadequate and getting
2: hurt, have to go. I love that so much. It's so much my experience. So let's talk about perimenopause. So here are all
1: the symptoms of perimenopause, and believe me, I'm sure there's a million more. Um, Hot flushes, night sweats, irregular periods, problems falling asleep, problems staying asleep, sleep quality, breast tenderness, itchy, crawly, dry skin, exhaustion, trouble concentrating, vaginal dryness, loss of libido, migraines, menstrual tension, mood changes, feeling more teary and irritable and anxiety might occur. Also weight gain, even if there are no changes to diet or exercise due to the metabolism slowing down. my experience of perimenopausal symptoms was well I had hot flushes but once I stopped drinking those actually went away and hot flushes are very very strongly the evidence shows they're very strongly linked to um, alcohol use so one of the you know it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get rid of them completely if you stop drinking but definitely will improve them and night sweats, I had all the time when I was drinking, and they definitely I haven't had any night sweats really, apart from odd, odd, odd ones since I stopped drinking. Regular periods, 100%, um, problems falling to sleep and staying asleep and sleep quality. This was my life. And that's now I've found that um, since I've stopped drinking, that's so much better um exhaustion I mean that has been huge for me um fatigue and I do think though for a lot of women when they stop drinking even they still feel a huge exhaustion because a lot of time I've been using alcohol to push on through and to keep them doing all the things so often when they stop they're absolutely exhausted because for years of just pushing through and using alcohol as a kind of energy giver trouble concentrating oh we've done that (laughs) sorry I'm going back um more pronouncement well I'm wibbling now sorry um, what else did I find trouble concentrating absolutely I've never had that itchy crawly skin not too much breast tenderness um, vaginal dryness not for me um, lost libido yes but I think that's joint linked to other things migraines occasionally not too much more PMT yes mood changes definitely and I would say everything that I've read and researched about menopause perimenopause is that two the three Biggest symptoms of perimenopause are anxiety, um, sleeplessness, and low mood. I also put on a, a huge amount of weight very quickly and was incredibly healthy and di- I exercised really um, well. Um, and it was very frustrating for me to, for that to happen. I've had to do a lot of work around body image and so on and so forth um in order to make my peace with that and kind of explore my internal my internalized fat phobia Um, but that's the subject for another day so perimenopause the problem is the the things that happen we get my biggest thing which wasn't on that list before is I have really bad joint I had really bad joint pain that wasn't a real problem like in my fingers and that's really common um Another thing that's not there is that you get a lower tolerance, and a bigger reaction from booze. A lot of women find this. It's like, oh, you know, suddenly two drinks that were, um, you know, felt, you know, like hardly anything back in the day. Suddenly I'm really, really drunk and I, need to, I have to pass out or go to sleep. Um, hot flashes, short-term memory loss, brain fog and so on. So there are a lot of things we can do um, medically. And not medically, the same sort of things as you would imagine um, doing for yourself. And it, it, so there's, you know, you could take HRT, so you can go to your doctor and talk about that. Really important thing with all of this stuff is just understanding um, what's going on for you. And in midlife, what really happens a lot is, and this is particularly what happens to me, and I've, most of the women that I speak to, is that we. Our ability to keep giving out reduces and our ability to push on through reduces because our estrogen is declining and that's our nurturing hormone. And as our nurturing hormone declines, our ability to put up with the shift also declines. And that can be both a benefit and a negative, but what really needs to happen is we need to start looking after ourselves and we need to stop forcing ourselves to do all of the things that society has told us that we have to do because we're women. And if we don't do them, then we're selfish. And if we rest, then we're lazy. We need to start, first of all, understand what's going on. Read, get as much knowledge as you can, follow people on Instagram. Understand and then treat yourself with self-compassion. Have your own back. Start carving out time for yourself. Start resting when you need to. And start to develop a relationship with yourself less force more gentle loving kindness and like i say this is a really creative time of life this is the time when biologically our children should be should be grown and and just before we're about to become grandparents or or grown so to speak but it's a time of creativity for us it's a time for us to sort of seize our, our time Um, and so I think we can look at it in that way as well but perimenopause can be very very disabling for people you know people get huge amounts of blood sometimes terrible PMT and I've had friends who've really struggled psychologically with um, low mood and you know often we get it get we get mistaken for um, being depressed or being anxious but actually the causes are hormones and When you look at the hormone charts for perimenopause in comparison to the hormone charts for when you're a teenager and you can see the amount of um, fluctuation in mood um, due to hormones, and it's pretty much exactly the same, if not slightly more in the perimenopause side. Um, But it can be a real problem for people. And I think one of the most important things that we need to do is keep talking about it, keep showing people that they're not alone, that there's nothing wrong with them, that it's very normal, that, you know, different people will experience perimenopause in different ways but the more we can talk about and not shun things like the fact that we know can't always remember the right words and our brain can be a bit foggy and so on and so forth and the more that we talk to that and say that doesn't mean that we're not you know not clever it doesn't mean that we can't have a seat at the table it means that these this is almost like we are there's a, a disabling effect but it doesn't mean that we can't Still be in places in power, and that's actually where we need to be more than anything else. Oh, so next, neurodivergence and ADHD. So again, I'm going to talk about my both my kids were um, diagnosed with autism and ADHD over a period of time. And so I've learned a lot about autism, but I don't identify at the moment as being autistic. So my diagnosis is ADHD, so that's what I'll talk about here. So neurodiversity, what does neurodiversity mean? It's a term that's used to describe neurological conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and high sensitivity or high sensory, to name a few. It was coined by an Australian sociologist called Judy Singer. And this was to challenge the idea that different wiring needed fixing. So it was very much treated in sort of pathological, uh, medical, uh, behavioural, Uh, way historically it would be like okay so you've got um, autism these are the things that we need to do to make you like a neurotypical person a different you know brain that's different to yours so it's like instead of saying there's a disability here because of the way our world is structured and we need to change our world in order to accommodate the different types of brains and the way that we work it was very much along the lines of we need to fix these neurodiverse people and make them the same and we need to um, kind of reform their behavior to behavior that fits the mold of what we believe to be uh, the correct type of behavior and so that's changed now so a lot of us who identify as neurodivergent are very much along the um, neurodiversity affirming um, perspective, which means that we um, honour and celebrate the difference and think that that difference could bring so much to society as a whole because neurodivergent people are often the sensitive people, the creative people, the empathetic people and, um, and so much more. So what are the commonly accepted ADHD symptoms? So so many women and girls are late diagnosed ADHD, and the reason for that is the way that the system is set up is it's set up to um, it's basically set up to identify ADHD in young boys, same with autism. And for years, um, ADHD was thought to be a, um, a boy, a young boy uh, condition. And so the things that were expected in somebody being ADHD were hyperactivity, impulsivity, self-focused behavior. So that means behavior where it's difficult for people to kind of look outside of themselves, Um, which is, you know, it's very interesting because that also is something that comes up with people who stop drinking. Um, I find a lot of clients um and myself included we find we we um you come out of drinking especially if you've been drinking for a long time and you can find that you you take everything very personally and everything's sort of about you and part of we talk about emotional sobriety and part of that being that sort of beginning to look at things from a different
2: perspective and not be so necessarily be so um, um self-focused that makes sense uh, emotional turmoil and this is a really
1: different interesting one it used to be called meltdowns or no, there was tantrums so that's right and I remember my youngest was able to have some extraordinary tantrums but what it actually means is emotional dysregulation so it means an inability to be able to manage big emotions and emotional emotional having a big emotional response to things which is a lot of reason why people why people drink. So, was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this stuff because there is so much. In clients that I work with, there is so much correlation between um, some of the neurodiverse symptoms and some of the reasons why we drink. And you'll see as well, there is a huge amount of research about neurodiversity and um, alcohol and other drug um, co-occurrence. So struggles with paying attention, loses things, and a lack of follow-through on tasks or instructions. That was very much... Um, I know with my um, eldest, he was he would often have, like, he'd done all his homework, but he'd forget to submit it. And I was similar to that. Um, so the next is ADHD symptoms in women and how they can different. So it's often more inattentive. Um, we see hyperfocusing like I've been doing all day today, which is if you're interested in something, you can really sort of focus on it. And why um, so many women have a diagnosis is often because we've been able to mask. Our symptoms are different. They show up
2: differently than they do in um, men. Excuse me. Um, but we've been able to mask, and I think my children, my children were able to mask for a long time until they got into
1: high school. that's often the case with with girls, as though they found, all, all female assigned at birth, that they found that actually that that was becoming a problem for them. Now they could no longer uh, keep up the pretense of being this be, these people that everyone expected them to be it was debilitating and so they became exhausted. and actually one of my child ended up um, suffering from extreme burnout and ended up having to go to bed for a few years um, and we've been slowly building her back up since then but constant motion so that can be like just you know fiddling fiddling with things um me you know waggling your feet doing for me I'm constantly chewing my fingers you know stimming like quite often called um difficulty making friends often are very different we're going to get accused of being too much or being too little or um being anxious being um rejection dysphoric which I'll talk about again um can be can mean we're not always you know everyone on everyone's top list of <laughs> people and again we internalize that and make it mean a load of stuff about ourselves we're messy um often messy often have low self-esteem, and again, most of the people that I know that that, uh, drink often have low self-esteem, and often even without realizing they do, often you can be like, I've actually got really high self-esteem, but um, it doesn't kind of play out like that. Um, Mental health issues, so a lot of women um, struggle with anxiety struggle with depression. Daydreaming, chattiness—I um, always remember as well, you know, sort of inappropriate um, responses to things. Like my my eldest um, used to always smile when she was being told off, and a bit like she didn't care, and she wasn't. Um, but actually, it was just really—that was her body's reaction to that. Poor decision-making skills. I mean, I find I make decisions very well, actually, but that's mainly because I am quite impulsive, and I'm quite happy to sort of trust my gut. Um, time management issues, I have huge time management issues, hence this presentation, which I thought would only take me a very short amount of time. I kept getting confused about yesterday and today and tomorrow. Um, And I've always managed to put it together in the end, but at what cost? Um, And I found that when
2: I was studying um, 20... Is it 20... 2020... No, 2019 to... 2022 I think um
1: it was so stressful for me every time I had to give them an assignment because I would just leave it it took me so long and I just put myself under so much pressure and I wouldn't be able to be being a good mom to my kids which is you know what happens to me even in this work which I completely love um rejection dysphoria that's taking um, rejection taking any kind of criticism or anything like that very very personally to the point where you feel it in your body and you kind of have to go into kind of shut down sleep problems massive issue both my kids and I had massive issues going to sleep we ended up going to sleep school staying in sleep school um, and my kids would still be able to cry and not take which we now know and I now wish I'd never done with them control crying but that was what we were all taught at the time. Um, intense emotions. We've just talked about that, and that's such a propensity for white people drink. Is not being able to, not being able to sit with those really intense emotions, and intense emotions being massively strong for them. Um, low tolerance for boredom. Again, you know, another really um, common uh, characteristic of people who drink. Impulsivity. Impulsive shopping um poor working memory and that's something I struggle with big time and it's been made so much worse since I've got perimenopause as well object permanence issues is really interesting both me and my child have that where it's it's almost like we can't hold too much information in our head so we have to just focus on where we are now which means that often for me I moved around a lot as a kid and for me I used to every time I moved to a new country I'd be like yep great I've moved New place and same with my my kid my youngest she was always like um great new class new friends move on um and it really um
2: (laughs) it was really interesting to me finding out about this because when my dad passed away I didn't feel like I grieved his death in the way that other people go oh no there's not one way to grieve but I felt very much like um, like I kind of moved on, like he passed away, I
1: loved him, I 100% loved him, I missed him, I got to spend a lot of time with him before um, he passed away luckily because he passed away when we were on our way over here from the UK and um, yeah, then I just kind of moved on. Um, now I was having a very interesting conversation with Danny Carr from How I Quit Alcohol. And she was saying to me, well, maybe that is actually another coping mechanism that you've used. Because there's all this
2: conversation as well about trauma and ADHD, um, trauma and and um, autism, hypersensitivity. But whatever it is, whether <laughs> it's a gene that's passed down from our parents, whatever it is, there's so many different theories on it. What we end up with is a group of people who don't fit into the mold, don't fit the mold and do things in a different way. At first, my motivational interest is similar to hyper for me. But if I'm interested in something, I can get it done. I used to get in trouble for and my husband, for the people around me. There's things that for me now I know post
1: diagnosis as a coping mechanism to manage my
2: ADHD symptoms. So I used to often bang, bang, bump my car when I was reversing in and out. And part of my ADHD profile is that I have bad spatial awareness. Um, I also like to put headphones on when I'm doing things that like find boring because I enjoy listening to podcasts and learning and if I can do that I can get through the boring tasks like um, washing up, cleaning um anything else that I find boring which is generally the housework and again my husband used to get really angry
1: he's like why, why do you always have your headphones you're listening to me it's like no no no
2: now I know I'm like <laughs> excuse me again. this is something I do to help me be yeah, able to do things that I find boring okay sorry about the cough so next the problem is many women
1: end up being diagnosed late in life as perimenopause actually exacerbates the
2: symptoms that we've learned to mask Sonia, we can't push through anymore. We can't keep going. It's just not possible for us to. So the solution is again, it's just learning and knowledge, self compassion and
1: self advocacy. The more you learn, the more follow. Brilliant. There's some brilliant stuff out there. Neuro Wild. Um, there's so many good ADHD people um, to follow. I can't name them off the top of my head now because my memory is terrible. Um, but surround yourself. Read my most favourite book, which is Um Different Not Less by Chloe Hayden. Um, absolutely amazing. Brilliant, brilliant book.
2: And there's some other really
1: great um, stuff on perimenopause. The woman that I really loved listening to are
2: uh, oh my god, my brain's gone back. Sarah Barlick Bailey and um Sorry, I'll have to look this up because I can't leave you hanging like that. Um Wendy McCallum. Wendy McCallum does a brilliant podcast. We've got quite
1: a few episodes on perimenopause and I, I found her and Sarah Bailey talking about that really, really helpful, especially about sort of seizing the beauty and
2: wonder of, of actually the creative part of paramenopause and that you know. Yes, there are lots of things
1: that are negative about it, but there's also some amazing things. Like not being able to put up with shit anymore is amazing. Um, having to stop using all these coping mechanisms that we're using to numb and to, um, you know, to keep ourselves safe. You know, having to really examine where those have come from and where those beliefs have come from and question whether they're not, whether or not they're true. The so things around our self worth things about our organisation and so on and so forth. So again, with ADHD and with any kind of neurodiversity and also with perimenomers, self-advocacy is so important. Nobody's going to come and say here's the solution to your problem. You have to keep going. Things aren't still right. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And you also have to decide what you're happy to live with and what you're happy not to. I, for example, take meds. For my ADHD, I find them helpful. Sometimes I... Think I might not take them, but I find them really helpful for focus and getting things done, like this presentation. Um, I also take meds for hormone therapy for um, perimenopause, but I still really struggle with short term memory loss. And I'm having to have some tests, cognitive tests, I'm pretty sure that my stuff isn't dementia, um, because my understanding is that if you have dementia, you're unaware of the issues that you have with short term
2: memory loss. Whereas I um was addressing you who I've, I I had know I have something today, but i looked up um out on a walk when I'm supposed to be at an appointment and my doctor would call up, i would be like, oh my god, an appointment, or I'd put something somewhere so there's left me Anyway. And it can go on and I won't because I will go on for too long. But um Take alcohol, why alcohol is the perfect storm. So that's me with a grumpy face.
1: Alcohol makes perimenopause and ADHD symptoms worse, well, no doubt about it. So, what can you do? Reduce stop drinking, get curious, get ready for this wonderful adventure of self discovery. I mean, stop your drinking and taking a break from drinking, reducing your drinking, it gives you amazing opportunity to understand why you were drinking in the first place to start becoming really intentional learning how to manage your emotions learning how to manage your symptoms doing things for your nervous system it's a huge i mean the whole thing for me the three things together um finding out my neurodiversity becoming paramount also and stopping drinking have been the beginning of this amazing journey yes it's been hard and yes it's not been perfect and in fact we're probably going to go to tobacco's potato tonight because I can't think of anything else to do. I'm so tired. (laughs) I'm also launching my program, which I'll come on to talk about in a minute. But alcohol makes perimenopause and ADHD sometimes worse because alcohol increases our anxiety and increases our low mood. It also disrupts our sleep. Those are the three biggest issues that people complain about, ADHD and perimenopause. And so, if you take alcohol out
2: of the equation, you will find that those at least those symptoms aren't being made any worse. So, if you share in the chat what you've taken, what information you've taken from this presentation, I'd love like to hear. I oh, really enjoyed understanding about the um, impermanence. Yeah. I found that really interesting as well. It was actually a bit revolutionary for me. Oh, you didn't realise that uh, perimenopause started so early. I know, right? It's such a surprise, isn't that really? And you're interested in if you can just reduce your alcohol content and make things better. Definitely. Definitely everything
1: you can do in order to reduce your amount the amount of alcohol that you drink is, is gonna be is going to be beneficial for you, particularly with things like hot flushes, sleepless nerves,
2: anxiety, and um low mood. For sure, for sure. So whatever you can do it will be very, very, very good. Great. Well thanks very much for that feedback.
1: So last thing I just want to take you through a case
2: study. Uh, so this is a case study of my um one of my previous um participants in my
1: programme, which is the great Aussie Alcohol Experiment. And um, this is Lou. Lou's a 48-year-old mum, two teens and a four-year-old. Um, and she grew up in family in Tempestone. And she was a weekend warrior and eventually grew to one or two bottles of wine a, a week. Um, sorry a night and she joined my first alcohol experiment and has been alcohol free ever since which is absolutely amazing so that was in oh my goodness July 2022
2: I think yeah must be 21 21 that's right um she'd done a few alcohol free stints a bit like I had using willpower but they weren't getting any easier
1: Found any grace's podcast and she listened to stories, including mine. And she listened to people who had found freedom using booze, which I have a lot of those on my podcast as well. They could be really, really helpful. Um, having dro- woken up with one too many hazy flashbacks of a drunken night before, she decided to invest herself for her family and her loved ones. And she stopped drinking in July. There we go. I've got the date 2021. And she hasn't looked back, which is amazing, isn't it? Right. So she's nearly two years alcohol free. Um, so, before she had high anxiety, low self esteem, self doubt, self hatred. Physically and mentally drained and exhausted, she had poor relationships with her partner, kids, and family. And she repeated crap decisions followed by crap decisions, life experiences, crap life experiences. She was feeling trapped within a less than ordinary life. She was reliant on others to determine her happiness. And afterwards, she felt like she was never anxious unless she was 100% warranted found real happiness and love within herself. She lost weight, increased her fitness, both mentally and physically, and she has much better relationships with her partner and kids and family. She sees a bright future of excitement, enthusiasm and confidence guiding her life back to where she wants to be. And then I've got a few other lovely uh, quotes here. This one's from me too. I'm so grateful for this experience and everything it taught me. I feel regenerated in hope knowing that I've turned my life for the better. No longer desire alcohol, and I definitely recommend Emma a live experiment for anyone wanting to take a break from booze. Thanks again, Emma. And we've got this lovely one from Tony. Emma's like a ray of sunshine. The alcohol experiment meets people wherever they are on their journey. Through her words and actions, Emma taught me that it's okay to be unapologetically imperfect. She gave me hope and reminded me of the importance of self love. Very important on this journey. (laughs) Two things alcohol takes away. Doing the experiment gave me the knowledge and skills to trust myself again. Thanks for always making me smile, mainly because you're laughing at yourself. Keep shining, Emma, because it's infectious. I keep turning. that's lovely. The last one. I absolutely loved the experiment. Great way to journey through the emotions associated with drinking and the beliefs we created. Emma was and is so nurturing throughout the the whole process, and I would highly recommend the experiment. And Emma. I loved it and still love all the awareness I gained and continue to grade from Ange. And you'll see Ange and Lou are both in my podcast with Life AF. So here's just a little bit of information about my program. What you get, you get daily coaching videos and emails to keep you accountable. Journaling prompts. Yes, you have homework and access to my free Facebook community. We have daily live coaching sessions with me, which is actually in Zoom but small group coaching sessions and live demonstrations of the most common limiting beliefs that can hold around alcohol and how to transform them for yourselves. Bonuses, we have my favourite non-alcoholic drink guide and discount code for online purchases, three bonus meditations which are grounding, centering and orienting and one month free access to my beautiful friend Emma Wilkinshaw's 21 Minutes of Morning Magic which is a great way to support yourself in this journey. She does seven minutes of movement yoga,
2: seven minutes of meditation, and seven minutes of um my brain's gone blank. Journaling. <laughs> there we go. Um, there you go, that's uh parabolicals lady um, but she's offering anyone who joins my program a three month worth of, of, of her program. So that's another lovely thing. Um It's $450, and if you sign
1: up today, you get a three 30-minute one-to-one coaching with me where we can work on your individual um, needs. And the reason I want to talk about this today
2: is because the women that I work with are generally women in midlife. They are generally women who are perimenopausal,
1: and an awful lot of them either have children who are neurodiverse, or think there's a possibility that they could be more reverse too. And one of the things I just want to come on to is whether you get diagnosed or whether you don't, it doesn't matter. It's up to you. You choose that. I found it very affirming. So do my kids. Other people don't. Totally up to you. But I think with all of these things, like with drinking, the more we can understand what's going on for us, the more we can give a name to, the more we can be compassionate to ourselves through all this, the better. Thanks so much for your time. If you've got any questions just reach out to me at my email address, Emma at hoperisingcoaching.com.
0: Thanks Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com for my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine. And remember to keep choosing you.